0: This podcast is brought to you by Excess Energy Drinks and Excess Sports Nutrition exclusively from Amway. Excess offers a collection of active and adventure products to help you energize, hydrate, strengthen, and recover. Follow us on Instagram at
1: ExcessNation. It's inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports, the college football podcast that gives fans the inside scoop on who's moving up, who's moving down, and what's happening with all the big news of the week. Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg will take you through this week's poll. Interview coaches. And break down the sport like nobody else. Starting now. Welcome
0: back to another edition of the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast, presented by USA Today Sports. Dan Walken here with you alongside Paul Meyerberg, and we do not have a new Amway Coaches Poll to break down, but we do have a college football season starting. In fact, it's already started. On today's podcast, we're going to talk to one of the participants in that game, Nathan Brown, the head coach of the University of Central Arkansas which started the college football season with a win over Austin P. We had a great conversation with Coach Brown, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with their team. They're playing UAB on Thursday. But, uh, Paul, how did you take in that game? Were you starved for college football? Did it scratch the itch? What did you think?
2: Yeah, it definitely scratched the itch. I mean, it's like uh, – um, like being stuck in the middle of the desert and like someone comes by and offers you a Pepsi, you're not going to be like, nah, 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 I'm a Coke guy. Like I'm not going to have this, this drink to quench my thirst. Um, So I was all about it. Um, I thought it was a fun game. Look, it wasn't the greatest played game, but I was at the opener for my, for Miami and Florida last year. And it was equally bad, if not worse. So it was good to be back. Did you stay with it? Were you a four quarter guy or did you at some point tune out?
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I was like exhausted Saturday for a variety of reasons that have nothing to do with uh, college football, but I I tried to hang in there as long as I could. Uh, I did not make it to the end, but it was a nice entertainment on a Saturday night.
2: For sure. For sure. So it's good to be back.
0: Yeah. And we got actual FBS games coming this week and it's just I don't know how to feel about it. Look, I mean, I'm happy that the season is here to whatever extent we're going to get it, but just because we have been through the last so many months of uncertainty and will they or won't they and uh, teams not being able to practice and COVID tests and just the focus has been on all this other stuff, it's just kind of like an unnatural feeling to break down football
2: it's felt weird to um and we'll talk with central arkansas coach nathan brown about this the run-up to the game feels weird because throughout the week we don't talk about it we talk about everything but the game so then to have the game come on Saturday was shocking uh, like a shock to the system for that reason that you felt unprepared Uh, um I hope we get into a routine with it and we stop focusing on on look not stop but again Focus on the games as much as we're focusing on what's happening off the field, and and both are important, obviously. So, um, you know, by Thursday night, like at eight o'clock, and eight o five on Thursday, will we be thinking about COVID testing? We'll we be thinking about UAB's kicking game. I'm not sure. Hopefully, it's the latter, at least for three hours on Thursday night.
0: Yeah, you're, we're just going to have to exist this season on two different tracks. One of them is going to be the fact that there are football games going on, and we're going to have to talk about those games. We're going to have to figure out who's going to win and who's going to lose and what it means in the big picture in the playoff because there's plans for a college football playoff, but we're also going to have to be attentive to the realities of of what presents itself from a COVID standpoint, good, bad, or indifferent. And, uh, you know, it's just strange to have a season where, okay, we talk about a game Saturday and then on Sunday a team like Auburn can't really do anything because they've got too many guys who tested positive. You know, and that's just yeah. going to have to be the way this season goes. And, and I think we're going to all have to get used to it. And frankly, I think we're going to have to stop yelling at each other about it. And <laughs> I don't mean you and me, but I, I just mean like college football people in general. If you mention COVID, if you mention positive tests, if you mention that there is something uh, going on with the program that is, un, uh, that is a bad development, like I just don't want to hear from people who say you shouldn't be talking about this because it's part of the picture right now and also i don't want to ignore the games and if there's a great game we need to talk about that too like i just think we're going to have to get used to this new normal at least for for this one season and also understand that that you know if there's an upside to this if everything goes great potentially i mean we've got like months and months of extra football cuz you're going to have a re- a season that that goes on with the SEC ACC Big 12 and then a season of the pac Ten or the Pac Twelve and Big Ten that extends for months beyond that. So, I mean, potentially it could be, be the best thing we've ever seen.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Way to be positive. Yeah, you know, it'd be nice to to have the dialogue be a little bit better for sure. Um, uh, you can't uh, um, you can't that Auburn. Obviously, we need to talk about that. But you know, at the same time, let's talk about Sunday morning as Nathan Brownell say Central Arkansas. Friday morning, they play Arkansas to Montgomery overnight. Uh, they play a game against Austin P on Saturday night. Uh, Sunday morning, they're on the road to Birmingham. They take their COVID test at 6 a.m. on Sunday. No positive results. Um, you can't extrapolate what Auburn means to, you know, Oklahoma, just as you can't say that just because Central Arkansas didn't have positives that he won't this coming season on a Sunday. But it's a positive to me to see that the first game of the year the team coming out of it in Central Arkansas was clean. So that's a good – that's obviously a good sign. They're all set to play Thursday and TV. So that's a positive.
0: Yeah, this is not the most um, robust schedule this week. Uh, but there are some interesting group of five games. And the two that, that jump out, uh, at least to me, are Memphis playing Arkansas State. You know, I think traditionally two of the better – a group of five programs, and also on Labor Day, BYU playing Navy uh, on ESPN. And, you know, I think Navy is interesting along with the other service academies uh, in that Air Force, for instance, you know, they're, they're in a conference in the Mountain West that is not playing, and yet Air Force is going to try to play the Commander-in-Chiefs games, right? I mean, what?
2: Yeah. how's that going to work? I don't know. But look, I'm all for it. I mean, these, these teams want to play games. If they, if they obviously they're going to be able to do it in terms of the logistics of it and they can make it happen in terms of staying safe and, and getting guys healthy and ready to play for two other games. Um, I think that's great. Um, Navy and army are, are interesting and, and army in specific army as an independent, I think it's up to 11. They may be even be at 12 games right now. Um, and that obviously includes air force on the list. So that's really interesting to see. Um, Navy's going to play nine, eight plus one, I believe, is the American. I might have the wrong. It's hard to keep track. Um, but, yeah, Air Force is going to be out west kind of waiting for those games to happen. Um, it's great for Air Force to be able to play those games. You know, it's one of those things that you don't want to see be a casualty of COVID, um, that you can't play Commanders-in-Chief, which has been going on since, I think, the late 70s. So I'm all in favor of them being able to do, do that. And that BYU-Navy game, um, obviously – storylines, if we wanted to focus on, on them galore, between Neo Matalolo and, and BYU and that former dalliance. Uh, <clears throat> BYU east for this game. 12 days later, they go east again to West Point, playing those two teams back-to-back. Maybe um, off an 11-win season. So it's going on here? Um, and, and I think it's great that it's on Monday night because it's going to have um, – it's obviously the game of the weekend. It's going to have the undivided attention of folks on Labor Day Monday.
0: Yeah, that was one of the weirdest coaching searches I can remember. When BYU pursued Ken Um, you know, typically these coaching searches are shrouded in in mystery and secrecy, and you're not supposed to know who interviewed with who, and everybody's got deniability through the search firms. But I don't know how many people remember this, but like like Ken Niumatalolo was at the airport getting interviewed, like before his interview with BYU. it just like never happens
2: he was so open about it it was amazing and that's so typical of uh matalolo who i I don't think has an ounce of pretense on him but that was an amazing it made you think like wow imagine if everything was run like this if every single college football search it was this open but you're right like it also the reason that it's not is that it has the situation like at the end for new matalolo how painful it was for him to be like you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to stay at Navy. Or you see about when it gets close and being at Arizona and Khalil Tate's like, nah, I'm not going to play in that offense. So you know why coaches then keep it close to the vest, but it was refreshing to see Neil Matalewa get that close and talk about it.
0: You know, I've had this conversation with people in the industry, you know, people who do coaching searches, agents, whatever. And I've made the case before that, that, It would not be a bad thing if college football was more like the NFL. Like the NFL, at this point, when teams are hiring coaches, they'll literally tweet out who they're interviewing, (laughs) right? Yeah. But in college, it's totally about deniability. And, look, I understand there's different issues with with contracts and there's different issues with just boards of trustees and boosters and recruiting is obviously a key part of it. But – You know, I do think a lot of times what happens when you try to be so secretive is it actually produces a lot of misinformation. And the misinformation gives fans expectations of a coaching search that maybe are not realistic. Um, It gets people way too emotional. Mm -hmm. Like, I just think if you just sort of laid it out, like, hey, listen, here's who we're talking to, and we're going to make the best decision we can, I think frankly, the temperature on coaching searches and the expectation levels would be more in line. And and frankly, it would uh, disincentivize agents a lot of times from leaking stuff out to try to prod schools into giving their clients these massive contracts. Uh, But the system is what it is. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned about Army and the number of games that they have been able to secure sort of on the fly. One of the things I've wondered through the whole COVID situation and watching these schools manage their schedules is, like, why are we scheduling games 15 years out when it's very clear we can do this in a span of weeks in the offseason?
2: Absolutely. Like you saw Notre Dame schedule South Florida, right? This yeah. was earlier. That was last week. Just on the fly. Notre Dame's like, hey, I got to add one. You free? And South Florida's like, free? We'll come to South Bend. I will play you. Um, it does shoot a hole in that idea that you need to play like Oklahoma scheduling UCLA for 2036, you know, when like, we're all going to be dead anyway. Um,
1: well, I, I hope
0: not. I hope we're going to be alive.
2: <laughs> okay. I guess, you know, you do going to be dead. Um, but uh, I, I, I think it, but you know, it's funny. Like, so time is, is a thing that we really comprehend as human beings because our brains are so small, but it's funny to think like, in 2017, they were announcing games for 2020 or 2021. You're like, all right, well, here come the robots, like robot sports writers when when it's OU Missouri State to open the 2020 season. And then we're here. So <laughs> there's never a time where, like, you know you know what I mean? So when oh, I was a kid. games. But here's my idea.
0: No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say, it brings to mind, like, when I was a kid, no, I, was I-, I thought 2020 <laughs> – that we were going to be like the Jetsons, like flying around in, in cars, you know, all over these cities, um, riding monorails everywhere. Like we were going to have jetpacks strapped to our backs and just like gliding all over the place.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. What's going on? Like, um, so there's a new book out that I bought. Was, I think it's by it Kurt Anderson. I read it at times. It's about how uh, like we haven't developed as a country since like 1986, like things just flatlined you know what I mean? Like we just haven't had any growth. We've had like the internet and stuff, but we haven't really progressed as people. Um, you're in that idea. Like if you go back to 1995 and 1997, like I don't think things are that much different than they were. Like I don't see flying cars. I thought cities would be built on top of cities at this point. I thought we'd have high speed. Like you've been around the world. It still takes seven and a half hours to get to Wilmington from New York on Amtrak. You know, you don't even get wifi on a train. So we've made no growth as people, even though, uh, College football has obviously grown exponentially. We're not, we're not at the point where I thought we would be um, in the year 2020. 2020 sucks, by the way.
0: It does suck. But we've had two things that I think have been positive. Uh, Wi-Fi on airplanes. That's pretty good.
2: Oh, yeah. that's great. So you can write six columns on the flight from, from L.A. back to Ohio. I mean, is that what you want to do? Is, I mean, it seems to me like that's, that's nice growth. But also, people are using that to make phone calls on flights now. Have you noticed that? Well, that's
0: terrible. Yeah, that shouldn't be allowed. I will say this, though. Years ago, before there was Wi-Fi on airplanes, and this was a long time before I even worked for USA Today, I actually skipped a flight because there was a breaking news story that I was covering, and it was developing so fast, and I was afraid it was a flight that I was going to have to take. It was going to be about three and a half hours. And I was so afraid of the news breaking during that flight without any cell service, without any Wi-Fi. I mean, this was around 2009 that I just skipped the flight and just hunkered down in a hotel to make phone calls. And like that was, so that's one of those things like now you can manage it actually better than, than you did before. And then the other big development is we can actually see each other and talk to each other on the phone, which actually like my great grandfather, that was one of the things when I was a kid, he was so enamored with the idea of a a picture phone Mm -hmm. and um, he never really got to see it in his lifetime uh, in any form that would be, it was like very, very, very early and didn't really work very well. But now it's just like something we do just naturally. Oh yeah. FaceTime. Sure. So those are two things we've been pretty good at, but we've fallen way short of my whole Jetsons theory. But
2: back to the topic of scheduling games. For sure. I have to walk places. There's no <laughs> – well, here's here's the thing, right? Why, why don't they – I would love to see every year you only have a conference schedule and then you schedule your games. Like you start scheduling your games for 2021 in January. Wouldn't They're... that be interesting? You can like schedule games that like have really good matchups.
0: Yeah, maybe or like just have two slots reserved. It doesn't even have to be all – of your non-conference games. Maybe you have one or two that are locked in, but you have one or two that are open so that you can just sort of pick through whoever's available, whoever best fits the team you have. Like, you know, for instance, LSU. LSU ends up losing all these guys to the pros early, and they end up uh, losing guys to opt-outs. You you maybe are not as good as you thought you were going to be six months ago. Does it make sense to maybe have a little easier non-conference game? If maybe you have everybody coming back, your quarterback who you expected to go pro ends up coming back for a senior year, maybe you look to schedule a a really big non conference game. That to me makes way more sense.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it'd be interesting to leave that uh, intrigue involved in the non conference play. Um, you know, and obviously if teams start adding conference games to the what. I mean, that makes it easier to do. If there are fewer slots, you know, only three games across the country instead of sometimes four, I think it becomes more important to make sure that you're scheduling good games in September rather than, you know, trying to project eight years in advance when it's going to be three coaches and seven quarterbacks later.
0: Meanwhile, I think we should comment on LSU real quick before we get to Nathan Brown. Uh, They had a tough weekend from a competitive standpoint because – They end up losing Jamar Chase uh, to an opt-out, just going to get ready for the NFL draft. And then Tyler Shelvin, defensive lineman, opts out. You look at that LSU depth chart now versus uh, last season in the national championship game against Clemson. I mean, it's basically a different team, totally different team. And it's not unusual that a team wins a title and loses a bunch of guys. But even by that standard, this has been a pretty remarkable uh, transformation of their roster.
2: Yeah, it, it is it's rare to um to go from twenty two, you're starting twenty two, I think, down to five. Um, that's a steep decline that you don't normally see. And look, like teams in the SEC, even LSU when they were somewhat underachieving, are used to that. I mean, you lose guys in the NFL, it happens. Um, this is at a scale I don't think anyone could have predicted. And like we spoke about this in the in the first episode when we spoke about the preseason poll. LSU getting a lot of votes in the low teens, um, in that poll, we suspect. Um, is indicative of what the perception is of that team right now, which is that they're not going to win another national championship. They're not the team in the West, not the best team in the SEC. And, you know, with all respect to what they accomplished, I don't – you lose those two guys, best receiver in the country, you know, first-round interior lineman. I'm not sure how you can say with a straight face that this team can can win that division. Um, Even hosting Alabama, I I don't really see it. So I think the expectations have changed dramatically, um, even more so in the last 24 hours.
0: All right. So from here, we're going to talk to Nathan Brown, the head coach at the University of Central Arkansas. Then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about what's going on in college football. And then we will end up the show talking to Evan Barnes from the Memphis Commercial Appeal, one of our USA Today Network partners, about a story he did over the weekend that caught my eye. So here's Nathan Brown, head coach, University of Central Arkansas, talking about their game last Saturday
1: to kick off the college football season against Austin Peak. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports.
0: Players and coaches need positive energy to fuel their performance. Excess energy drinks, exclusively from Amway, offer 19 unique and great tasting flavors packed with 80 milligrams of caffeine and a mega dose of B vitamins. You get the fuel you crave without excessive amounts of sugar, calories, and carbs found in traditional energy drinks. Get the most out of today with Excess Energy Drinks exclusively from Amway, and follow us on Instagram at XSNation Nation to experience more. Stay tuned after the podcast to learn about how energy drinks can be a positive boost for your workouts with professional surfer and fitness expert, Anthony Walsh.
1: Now, back to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll with Dan Wolkin and Paul Meyerberg.
0: All right, on the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast today, we are pleased to be joined by University of Central Arkansas coach Nathan Brown, whose team got a huge national spotlight in, I don't know if you call it week zero, week minus one, whatever it was. It was the first game of the college football season against Austin P a very unique game played in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, now UCA is up in Birmingham getting ready to play UAB on Thursday. First of all, Coach, thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast. Great to talk to you. What was that like, just to be the first game of the season, to have that kind of spotlight on your program and really to have the whole country watching college football?
3: Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, obviously... Being in a game like that uh, uh, allows to now have conversations like like this. You know, usually, Dan, you you probably wouldn't be talking to, uh, you know, UCA football and and giving us the the opportunity to to talk about what we feel like – you know, our great program and our brand that we're trying to build. So just an unbelievable opportunity to play in a game like that. I mean, to, look, our, our, our young men are, are, are good football players and good students. And, 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 you know, as a kid, you dream about playing games like that. And so, uh, you know, a, a year ago or so, whenever Dr. Teague first, uh, my athletic director, when he first got uh, the call about the SCS kickoff, obviously, obviously this was pre-pandemic, you know, uh, you know uh, it was going to be a week zero game and we were going to follow, I believe at that time, Notre Dame and, Stanford you know who were going to play in Ireland or somewhere and so a lot of things have changed since that point uh but 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 to get the only game on week zero and and uh to to do it in prime time on a national stage is just man it's it's just an unbelievable opportunity uh it's a reward for our players and our coaches and our staff for for doing things right throughout the summer um you know as far as the, the 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 pandemic and the and the COVID testing and all those things and and look, uh, it, it, just to, just to cap it off, we got we were able to get the win, which was the most important thing on the weekend.
0: What What did it mean for your program to have that kind of exposure? Have you already seen or felt some real tangible benefits of getting a spotlight on Central Arkansas like you've really never had before?
3: Absolutely. I mean, you look when I walked off the field um, from, from, from 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 the game. I looked down, down on my phone when I got to the coach's locker room and I had like 250 text messages. I mean, from a lot of numbers I didn't know. I don't know how people get your number. I, these <laughs> days I have no clue. But, but uh, you know, a lot of congrats, congratulatory texts. Uh, you know, and then just the opportunities to, to, to speak on our program, on, on, on shows like this, on, on uh, you know, uh, ESPN, now, now now showing what we're about as a program. Look, we've been, we've been a pretty, pretty he- uh, well-kept secret over the last decade. In um, FCS football, and I know the FBS football gets the most of the love, and they should because they because of uh, you know the caliber of players and coaches they have at that level. But FCS football is is, is some high caliber football that's played too. Um, and, and look, we we've we've made a quick jump to the Division One level um, in the 2010s, and and uh, you know we look forward to not looking back.
2: Yeah, you, know, you uh, when you get to the game, I feel like things just feel normal. Am I right? That all the run-up to it might have been odd, but by the time you got on the bus Friday and, and made your way to the Crampton Bowl, everything just kind of clicked and it felt like a normal road trip?
3: I think it did. I mean, and, and that's kind of what I encouraged my players on on Saturday about. You know, we had a team meeting late Friday night uh, and, and went through our normal Saturday routine on a yeah, as if it was a road game. And, look, once the whistles were blown and we, we, we entered the field, uh, you know, 60 minutes of, of, of football and, and executing plays and, and offense, defense, and special teams. I mean, that's what it was about. And, and you didn't think about the outside stuff or even the stuff that led up to get to that point. I think if you look back to what has led up to get to that point, uh, you, you appreciate the game more just because of all the sacrifices that have been made. Um, you know the commitment that's been made, but but man, once once the whistle was blown uh, and we played football, you, that's all you thought about. And look, we we came back to a hard reality Saturday night after the game. Uh, the uh, you know the next morning we were we were in in the line six six a.m. getting COVID tests or seven a.m. getting COVID tested again. So reality struck. Quit. But when the whistles blew, it was football.
0: Can you? Take us through the decision to play this fall, given you know most of FCS decided to move to spring. Uh, the Southland Conference is playing in the spring, and yet your school decided to try to play a fairly full schedule of games. What went into that process, and are you still planning to play Southland games in the spring when the conference plays?
3: Yeah, first of all, it was just a, a commitment from our administration. It started – uh, with President Houston Davis uh, at the University of Central Arkansas and Dr. Brad T., our athletic director. Both of those men were committed uh, to our programs. They had seen and made plans really since March. Uh, and, and a lot, as we went through the summer, we noticed that a lot of schools uh, it, it really – I don't know whether they didn't take the, the virus serious or they just didn't have a plan in place, but what, for whatever reason, our administration took it very serious uh, from the start. I still remember – uh, in the middle of February, this was before we even started spring practice. Uh, us having a head coaches meeting put together by Dr. Brad T. Mm-hmm. and and talking about this 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 uh, this virus that was coming. And at that time, you're kind of rolling your eyes. You're like, "What are you talking about? You know, this didn't make sense." And and so our our university and, and had getting enough got had received enough intelligence from whether it was medical side or or just whatever it was, to know, hey, we need to start prepping for this and let's take this serious. And I think that's why this has worked out for our school, um, because we have t- took it seriously. We have had testing protocols uh, since our young men have got back to campus in mid-June. And not many FCS programs have the means to do that. You know, we're, we're fortunate enough that we partnered with Conway Regional Medical Centers there in, in our, our community. Uh, and and they have uh, obviously supported and sponsored us through this process to make this available to us. You know, a lot of teams can't afford testing every week or twice a week or 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 symptomatic testing or whatever it is. That's going to be a bill that continues to continues to to, to, to pile on top of them. So uh, that was a huge part of this, and I think that's a big big part of the decision making process uh, for a lot of programs at our level, mid major and below. Uh, they just can't afford it. You know, it's hard. You know, you, you have to decide what financially you can handle, uh, you know, as far as a university and athletic department goes. And, and and fortunately for us in our program, uh, we're able to do that.
2: This is a, a season where you're going to – like you were the show on Saturday night, but you're going to have other opportunities um, as an FCS team to be a team on a national radar. I'm thinking about North Dakota State, just thinking about the fact that you have an almost full slate of games or an approximation of a full slate of games. Um, is that part of your message to the team this year? I mean, with an uncertain postseason future, just about, hey, let's take advantage of these chances, like Saturday night, whatever, a game in October, a game in November, that's that's make people realize who we are, what we're about.
3: Absolutely. I mean, you look at, you look at losing the Southern Conference season. You know, lose, we, you know, we had a, a marquee, you know, money, money game for us against the University of Missouri, an SEC opponent uh, that we lost when they went to, uh, you know, obviously conference-only games. Uh, so for us to put together a schedule like we have in a short amount of time, um, that is a, obviously a testament to, to Brad T, um, our athletic director, um, and just his work ethic and his commitment to our program. Uh, but, but yeah, I think, I think it, what an opportunity. We play three FBS, opponents. We Maybe the toughest team on our schedule uh, is the number one team in the land at our level, and nobody wants to play them in North Dakota State. Uh, you know, on top of that, we get an opportunity to play uh, Coach Petrino at Missouri State. You know, he's, he's kind of re, re, re energizing his career there. And, and, and then we play a historically good program in the FCS level in Eastern Kentucky. So uh, our, our schedule is, is probably the most difficult schedule that a UCA team has ever played in our program history. So I think our players relish that. I think they love that opportunity. Again, a lot of. A lot of disappointment and losing the opportunity to play for a conference championship or even a, uh, a playoff bid like we've been three of the last four years at the FCS level. But, again, you, you're a competitor and you have an opportunity to play uh, close to a full schedule and play some of the best competition that UCA has ever played. I think that's exciting to our players. So you've got a
0: Saturday to Thursday turnaround against UAB, if I have that correct. What uh, goes into getting a team ready with just a few days off? How are you guys physically? Uh, you said you had to line up and take COVID tests after uh, after the game against Austin P. Uh, so w- what happens next? Uh, just what what are the intervening days been like?
3: Well, you could hear the sighs on Saturday night after the game. Look, we're excited. We won national TV, and the last thing I say to them is, "Hey guys, seven a.m. be in line for COVID tests, double nasal swab." You know,
4: that's, that's <laughs> kind of fun.
3: You know, it's like man. You know, but but look, that's the world we're living in right now. And our kids are committed to that. And and we know to continue to play, football is on a thin thread. You know, sports in general is, is, is hanging on a thin thread. And if we don't execute and, and commit to continuing to do right uh, socially and off the field and, 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 and continuing to, to do the proper contact tracing, and if the kid has it, separate them, all those things – uh, then we won't play, and we're going to mess it up for other people. So um, so we're going to do everything right, and, 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 yeah, in a short week it's different. That's not something we're accustomed to. You know, you see NFL teams do it a lot, but, but look, that's not something we do a lot. So we've been taking, obviously, more mental reps than probably most weeks. Uh, the physical side of practice is a lot less. I'm uh, prepping for the week and going to class. Luckily, a lot of our classes are hybrid, online. You know, we can zoom with our players and their teachers. Um, so, so it's a good week to be away, just based on the situation we're in. Uh, but, but again, it's a little bit different, and, and and physically, I think we'll be fine. We're getting better every day. Again, the normal, you know, bumps and bruises after after a physical football game. But I think we'll be ready to go Thursday night.
2: Yeah, so, this is you've had. This is actually an interesting week, and most teams don't do this um, on any level of college. You drove to Montgomery on Friday. You played Saturday. Sunday morning you drove to Birmingham, right? Early
3: Sunday morning, yes. Right, yes. We were in Birmingham, Alabama at three – probably got to our hotel about 3 a.m.
2: Right, so you've been in Birmingham since Sunday and you're going to stay there and then you'll come back home on Thursday night, I imagine, or maybe Friday morning. Um, Hey, when's the first time you were away from home for six nights in a row and what are you doing? I mean, what do you guys do as a team when you're in hotel rooms for five nights or four nights in a row prepping for a game?
3: I think that's the, the, the million-dollar question because there's a lot of time to, to take up. Again, we're spending a lot of time in the mornings with classwork stuff. Uh, look, our kids are students first, and, and I, we take that very seriously here at UCA, and uh, we want to make sure that our kids are caught up and staying staying on top of their classwork and tests and quizzes and, and papers, whatever they have to do. Um, but but there's a lot of things to do in Birmingham, just like there was in Montgomery. You know, it's a, it's, it, it, I told our players, you know, it's a unique situation. I don't know why things happen the way they do you know that that we were we were you know pr- the, the way the schedule set up to where we're in the middle of all this social unrest and all these things and we're in the middle of where civil rights was pushed um, in in the south I mean you talk about being in Montgomery Alabama uh, Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King jr and and now Birmingham we got the Civil Rights Museum and so so we're gonna do a lot of things that that, that pertain to that you know our young men have a uh, we got, we've got some great young men and, and we support them and, and we want to make sure that we're putting a positive light across America on, Hey, this is, this is a bunch of young men that, that are from different backgrounds, races, and, and uh, parts of the country that are coming coming together for a common cause and common goal and having success no matter where they're from or what they look like. And so, uh, you know, we'll visit the civil rights museum. We've got a couple coaches that are from the Birmingham area, uh, that, that have some, some stuff set up with some local churches that they, they have connections with, uh, to feed us and do some different things. So uh, we're killing time with, with some good stuff other than just practicing football.
0: Nathan, before we let you go, just want to learn a little bit more about you. You're 34 years old. You've been a head coach, Division I program for three years. That is quite an accomplishment for somebody uh, of your age. You've already led Central Arkansas to the FCS playoffs a couple years ago. Uh, just curious sort of how that evolved for you because you were – Obviously, a great player at Central Arkansas, you were Southland Conference player of the year. And then you try your hand at the NFL, and you were in some camps. Um, You kind of gave up on that fairly quickly. When did you decide, hey, I'm not going to be a pro football player, I want to go try to be a coach?
3: yeah you know first of all i've got a really unique path to where i am and and i say unique it's you know in this profession normally you you look at a coach's uh you know background and, and profile and you see them at ten different places in twelve years and and so i've been very blessed to be at one spot my whole coaching career and that doesn't happen that just that's just not something that is realistic in the in the world we live in as far as coaching goes but uh, yeah I had a great great career at, at, at UCA and, and a great opportunity and at that point we went we were making the transition from a division two program to a division one program so I was the quarterback in the middle of that transition time and and uh, we had a lot of success a lot of early success and and I knew uh, I knew pretty 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 early on in my my playing days that I was probably going to get into coach and 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 look I ended up having a pretty good career and having a shot at the NFL. Um, and, and, and got into a couple camps and spent some time up there. And what what a great opportunity to – with the resources I made and, and people I met and, and still 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 to this day keep in touch with. But uh, I knew pretty quick after that, after the Saints cut me in 2009 that, hey, i I'd just gotten married to my wife, Jessica. I wasn't going to sit there and be the practice squad guy that just gets bumped from Pittsburgh to Cincinnati to try out here, maybe go to Canada, whatever it was. I just – I knew I had an opportunity early on at UCA. Uh, coach Clint Conk at the time was the head coach, gave me an opportunity uh, as the tight ends coach. Um, and I was the tight ends coach for a short amount of time um, and then quickly flipped to the quarterback's coach, started calling plays uh, when I was I was 25 years old, calling plays uh, at a Division one school. And, and uh, it really worked out since then. Coach Conk moved on and had an opportunity to work for Steve Campbell as the offensive coordinator there. He kept me on. Uh, I think at that point I knew – Uh, I I wanted to pursue, be a head coach. Um, I was young, but I, but I knew that was something I wanted to go after And And coach Campbell uh, really tutored me to that position. And look, he he had had two or three great seasons with him there. And, and, uh, he had an opportunity to move on to South Alabama uh, FBS program and, and got promoted by Dr. Teague. And so I'm just very blessed. And, And, and this is my school. This is my alma mater. This is a place that if you could tell me, look, I'm 34 years old and a lot of 34 year olds that are, that are head coaches or, or have an opportunity to be in their 30 years as a head coach at 34 years old probably are thinking, man, in, in, in four or five years I want to be at Alabama or I want to be at <laughs> Memphis or I want to be at USC or wherever, a bigger school. You know, you, you tell me in 20 years that I'm still the UCA head coach and I'm having success and I'm impacting kids' lives in Conway, Arkansas, not only on the field but off the field, uh, you, you, I'll consider that a great life and I'm excited about where I'm at.
1: Well, that's
0: that's a great note to finish up on uh, Nathan Brown from University of Central Arkansas. Thanks so much for joining us. Congratulations on the win uh, last weekend, and good luck against UAB and, and for the rest of the season. It's a really unique and fun story to follow.
3: Appreciate you guys having me. Hey, guys, bear claws up. There you go. Thanks, Nathan.
1: Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports
0: great to talk with Nathan Brown of the University of Central Arkansas. I thought that was really interesting, Paul. I mean, you, sometimes we focus so much on the coaches from high-profile leagues and high-profile schools, but that was a really unique moment for, for Central Arkansas. And I thought Nathan really did a good job of laying out what, what that meant to a program that just does not get that kind of spotlight.
2: Yeah, I thought he was great. Um, and he's a young guy. As you mentioned, he's 34. Um, just three years into his head coaching career, good reputation as an offensive guy. So I really enjoyed talking with him, you know? So it's funny, we said when we when we finished recording, we were joking around with him about if you coach another 20 years, they're going to build a statue of you. And he's like, yeah, if I'm here for another 20 years, it means I'm probably doing something right. So um, someone to keep an eye on for sure, next three to five years.
0: No doubt about it. So while we were recording that interview – The president of the United States weighed in on college football and specifically the big 10.
2: He did. Um, You know, he referenced a phone call with Kevin Warren commissioner of the conference, um, which occurred uh, earlier today and uh, called for the immediate reboot of the big 10 football season. So in that case, um, playing up to a bunch of people in the Big Ten footprint who want football to go on, uh, eligible voters. So a canny move, smart move, and we'll see how much this moves the goalposts for the Big Ten.
0: Yeah, I'm sure most of you by now have seen the tweet, know exactly what we're talking about, but I'll just go ahead and read it. Had a very productive conversation with Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, about immediately starting up Big Ten football. Would be good, parentheses, great for everyone, players, fans, country, on the one-yard line exclamation point so subsequent to that tweet I made a series of uh, phone calls and text messages to find out you know exactly what's going on and whether the big ten is really on the one yard line of uh, bringing football back immediately as President Donald Trump said and claimed and um, this may or may not surprise you but I don't think the big 10 would agree with the characterization of this being on the one yard line. Um, Kevin Warren did talk to president Donald Trump on Tuesday. Uh, They subsequently put out a statement uh, that was much less specific, much less sort of optimistic, but here's what uh, I really believe is going on. First of all, I don't think Donald Trump cares that much at all about Big Ten football. Um, Donald Trump, before he became president, had a very long history of sports takes on Twitter. In fact, they came practically on a daily basis. And you cannot really find any evidence that he ever watched a Big Ten football game on his Twitter feed, much less cared about it at all. But what he does care about is getting reelected. And for Donald Trump to get reelected, not that this is a political podcast, but I think it's fairly obvious. He has to win Pennsylvania, he has to win Michigan, he's gotta win Wisconsin. Those are states that are extremely important. They are the three states that he flipped from uh, Democrat to Republican in 2016 by very thin margins and they're states he probably needs to hold on to in November if he's gonna get reelected. So it's a win-win for Trump politically, right? Because he can look at this and say, well, if the Big Ten decides, let's just say, to move the start of the season to Thanksgiving or mid-November, early November, let's just say theoretically, well, Trump can get out there and say, I'm responsible for getting Big Ten football to start this fall. And yet, if that doesn't happen, if he doesn't get Big Ten football to start this fall, then he can go out there and essentially say that the presidents and the Big Ten commissioner are trying to hurt my re-election chances. So either way it goes, Trump can claim a political win. That's, that's what is happening. That is what is motivating this. By the way, he did not make a call to uh, Larry Scott of the Pac-12. He did not make a call to Craig Thompson of the Mountain West or John Steinbrecher of the Mid-American Conference. He only seems to be invested in getting the Big Ten to start up. So I think that should tell you everything you need to know about what political benefit he sees in those Midwestern states.
2: Yeah, Well, to be fair, um, this is a response in, to a degree. I, I mean, the Biden campaign did run a, an ad. I shouldn't say the Biden campaign because I don't know for sure. I saw an ad um, yeah. promoting Joe Biden for president. Um, that reference empty football stadiums within the Big Ten footprint. I mean, specifically, Big House, Horseshoe. That's true. Right. So was that was not a Biden for president, Biden-Harris campaign ad, right? It was like by one of those many uh, groups that are
0: political action doing committees. like daily ad.
2: Yeah, whatever it was. Um, that obviously, for a president who spends uh, – just based on his activity, you think is on Twitter quite a bit, that that might've crossed his, his eyeline or appeared on one of the news stations he watched. Um, so this has become a political football in these battleground states. And like you said, um, uh, he has nothing to lose, you know, he has good political instincts, president Trump. I mean, no one can really doubt that he has good individual instincts in terms of reaching and, 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 you know, bonding with an audience. Um, but you can't lose here because like you said, Big Ten could step forward and say, hey, we're going to reevaluate things. That's a win for the president. Um, and if not, then, you know, it just takes two angry tweets to rephrase the conversation. So whether it's blatant or transparent or not, you know, that's kind of the world we live in. Unfortunately, um, political football is taken on a new turn.
0: Here's what I know subsequent to all of this. The Big Ten issues are still the same today as they were when they decided to cancel the season, they're not going to change their mind on playing football because the president of the United States made a phone call. That's not the way this is going to work.
2: Well, wasn't the phone call in part like birthed out of the idea that, Hey, let's talk with the white house and this administration about these rapid tests that we discussed on the last podcast.
0: Rapid tests are only part of it. Uh, First of all, let's be clear. The white house initiated this conversation. This came from the president asking for Kevin Warren to talk to him. So that's the first part of it. But I also think the Big Ten, to be moved in any way on playing football, they need to see action. They need to see their issues being addressed. And it's not just testing. Yes, it is testing. That's part of it. But they need help with contact tracing, programs. They need help with getting medical equipment that can easily be used, not just for football, but for other sports to start up. Uh, Women's volleyball and uh, soccer and all these other sports that are fall sports. Uh, And they're going to want the White House, they're going to want the president to deliver on some of this stuff. They're going to make some asks. They're going to say, hey, listen, if you can do xyz for us to help us get in a better place to play football then we will consider playing football and they'll consider doing it as soon as they possibly can but even if the big 10 decided tomorrow to come out with a statement that said all right we're ready to go we've changed our mind <laughs> it's you're still talking about 6 weeks a lot of yeah, players aren't even on campus
2: right you're you're so in a, in a normal offseason, right, like it's 2019, you got 29 days to ratchet up from – it's not really zero to 60, but just for the, for the metaphor, from zero to 60, which is you walk in with, with helmets, you add shoulder pads, then you get full contact 29 days until your first game. Um, I think you need to uh, – like you said, I think you need to double that, six to eight weeks, because you've had starts and stops. You Like you said, you have guys off campus. Um, and this has taken out like the medical COVID related concerns. I think you need to get like six, eight, maybe seems like a lot, six weeks. Like you said, it seems like the baseline for teams to get back on campus and then start working out and working their way back into full contact. Um, so yeah, we're a little bit away, which is why, um, September 26th is obviously a non-starter, but, uh, you know. We're just like not even thinking about the medical COVID part of it. If everything was perfect, you're looking at October at the earliest.
0: Oh, listen, and I I think there's a big concern, not just in the Big Ten, but throughout college football about what happens after Labor Day, right? Because Labor Day weekend, if it goes the way like Memorial Day weekend went, then there's a big fear that you're going to come back with spikes in in various places that is not going to be helpful to college football being played, uh, even if the large majority of students who are already on campus remain on campus and don't go to a beach or wherever they go. Uh, Mm -hmm. But look, my my overall point here is the big 10 is not going to change its mind and start playing football just because that's what Donald Trump wants them to do. Um, There's gotta be in their eyes, some deliverables that the white house helps them with. And it's not just testing. And then, once you do that, then the medical advisory boards take a look, then the presidents decide, and it's going to take several of those presidents who voted to postpone the season to change their mind to get to the 60% threshold. So, it's hurdle after hurdle after hurdle to clear before the Big Ten could play. It's already September. You're not going to be able to play even at a minimum until probably late October. Uh, so my point is a lot of this is political smoke and mirrors.
2: Yeah. But what if there is buyer's remorse within a conference that expected everyone to follow their lead, like they did with schedules and now realizes they're out on an island. I'm not saying like, oh, now we can be like, we change our minds because the president asked us to. Right. But if there is a degree of buyer's remorse, isn't this a window to, Hey, you know what? Let's reevaluate. Right. Right.
0: Maybe, you know, but I'm not sure there's a lot of buyer's remorse. I mean, we know yeah. that the vote was 11 to 3, right? The vote was 11 to 3. That's what the Big Ten released via these legal filings in response to the Nebraska lawsuit uh, from these eight players. And we know subsequently from reporting that it was, what, Nebraska, Iowa, and Ohio State are the three mm-hmm. that, right. that decided – well. One of those schools, Iowa, like, the whole state is, like, on fire with COVID right now. It's one of the worst COVID places in the entire world is the state of Iowa. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not sure that that there's a lot of uh, congruence there with the possibility of starting football within the next couple weeks. But, um, yeah, I, I just – I don't think there's been the level of buyer's remorse that maybe people would think based on just how much noise there's been on Twitter.
2: <laughs> That's a good rule of thumb for just about anything. Let's go with that. Don't, don't use Twitter as your sounding board. I will say this. I thought this was funny. Um, I was speaking to a few coaches for uh, several stories that we're all working on, and one guy in a Power 5 league said, I'm going to recruit against the Big Ten using this for 20 years. <laughs> 20 years. He goes, in a generation, I'm still going to be using this against the Big Ten.
0: Just based um, on the, the Big Ten didn't want to play, but we did.
2: Right. It's the idea of, uh, you know how the SEC says uh, it just means more? Right. They've actually proved it. Um, it means more than it does the Big Ten. So, it also means uh, more yeah.
0: COVID cases.
2: Hey, right. No one specified what more it is. It just means more. Um, so... It's just an interesting, it's like a little wrinkle in this development. You know, when someone writes the the be all end all story, this will be a chapter of uh, the president's tweet and then what comes of it. And look, like um, there's obviously the, the the bigger question of like who he sways with this. Like we're so tribalized that if you're voting for X or Z, you're not going to change because, you know, just one single thing, probably. Um, that's really just kind of the the be all of it you know, but what this actually achieves, if it's a political gesture. But um, we also know based off the, what the president tweets about, tomorrow will be a different topic. So we may forget about this by the end of the week.
0: (laughs) I'm not so sure. I think this has been going on pretty much the entire month of August uh, since the Big Ten first decided to uh, not play, but it's interesting. And now uh, like it or not, it is part of the election. Let's talk to Evan Barnes of the Memphis Commercial Appeal, who wrote a very, very interesting piece uh, and is covering a program that's actually about to play a football game this weekend.
1: Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Okay, happy to be joined
0: now on the podcast by Evan Barnes, who works for the Memphis Commercial Appeal, part of the USA Today Network. Evan has covered the Memphis football program, also does a little NBA as well. Uh, But we are here to talk about what's gone on with Memphis and a huge opt-out in Kenny Gainwell, a player who I was so impressed with last season, was really electric, uh, announced over the weekend that uh, he's not going to play this season for the Tigers, who actually opened this weekend. But Evan, just uh, draw out for us what led to the decision and how big of a surprise was it for Memphis that Gainwell was not going to play?
4: Sure, I mean it was a huge surprise, and even the program was caught off guard Sunday when you know the news was broken that you know that Kenny was going to opt out this season. And then when I got a hold of his father, um, imagine my shock to find out that not only was he indeed opting out, it was because he had lost several family members to the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, They've lost Kenny said they lost three. His dad told me four. Um, but still, to lose multiple family members, he said that they had just buried family member over the weekend. And that obviously had a big effect on, on Kenny because he was someone that went to his games all the time and they're a very tight knit family. Um, so it was just a case where he just, you know, made his decision and, you know, he, he made it official on Monday, but you could tell that it was kind of a surprise to everyone because we had just spoken to him last week about this season. He talked about how he was going to be a leader in that running back room, even though he was a sophomore, just, you know, talking about how he was a student. Now he's got to be a teacher. And so, it is going to be a surprise for Memphis because now they go into this first game without maybe their most dynamic play in in talking to him, was it
0: a, sort of a last straw situation or is it something that you think had been brewing for a little while, obviously dealing with a lot of tragedy in his family
4: uh from from what his dad from what his dad told me, it seemed like it was very sudden when they when they lost that, that uncle very recently. Um, his dad told me that, you know, Kenny wanted to just come home and be with the family. And the fact that he could not attend the, 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 the services, the, the brief funeral they had for him, I think that probably prompted the decision even more. Now, of course, we can't ignore that, you know, Kenny is also eligible for the 2021 NFL Draft, and that probably ha- did play a role as well. But we can't ignore the fact that this pandemic is something that has afflicted a lot of people and it hit him very closely. So um, it probably all of that played a big role in it.
2: You know, Evan, I think we, we talk about COVID and we talk about how it's, you know, positive cases, outbreaks, and, and I think we miss the human element of it, and you mentioned it with Gainwell, and I think it really hits home. Do you sense from being around the team, being around these guys, that he's not alone, that there is like a percentage of this roster who are dealing with this as well, with family members who are sick, or even, in, as in Kenny's case, family members who have died?
4: Yeah, I am I know that when Ryan Soarfield told us this spring, um, he said that no players had tested positive. But he did say that family members – had dealt with um, COVID-19. I know at least one player on the team who posted a Twitter and said that both of his parents had recovered from it. So mm-hmm. you, you, you have to, you know, it's like you said, you know, we look at the data, we look at the numbers and all this stuff, but these are people, these are people who are going to be, you know, without family members, without friends, even people who are recovered, you know, it may take a while for them to get back. I mean, this is a human uh, tragedy if you will. And so it's affected guys, in all specters of – assuming people, really, in all, you know, fragments of society.
2: So, uh, brutal segue. Um, Gainwell is a fantastic football player. Uh, We saw he was a breakout guy in 2019. I think a lot of high hopes for him in in 2020 as an individual player. What does it do for Memphis? I mean, they start against Arkansas State on Saturday. Is this the sort of loss with his talent that you just really can't replace with a guy-by-committee approach instead?
4: Yeah. Let, I mean, let's be honest. You you can plug in different guys to slide into this Memphis offense and they've done a great job churning out running backs, but you're not going to replace a Kenny game. just, you know, as a, just as a reminder of how good he is. I mean, he was a all American. He was someone who was probably going to contend for all American arms again this year. You don't just replace somebody who not only was a great tailback, but was your second leading receiver last year. So um, they have some guys who are going to step up. Um, Rodriguez-Clark, who's a sophomore who played last year as a true freshman, Um, the coaching staff is really high on him. He actually started on the depth chart alongside Gainwell when it was released on Monday. So they're expecting a lot of things from him. Um, They're going to put some other guys in. Kylan Watkins, who's a junior who played last year, uh, transfer running back Asa Martin, who was at Auburn a couple years ago. He'll get some looks. But really, it's going to be a case to see kind of how this offense continues to make this work. I mean, last year at this time, nobody knew who Antonio Gibson was, and fewer people may have known who Kenny Gainwell was. But by the end of the year, Gainwell's an All-American. Antonio Gibson is a third-round draft pick, so there is a track record. But it is going to be tough for Memphis to replace somebody as dynamic as uh, Kenny Gainwell. Do you
0: have any sort of feel for where Gainwell fits from a draft perspective? Look, he was spectacular, but the – the film on him is is fairly limited. It's not like he's a guy who has played a ton of snaps over multiple years. I mean, he had one great breakout year, and yet uh, there is somewhat of a gamble there as far as the draft uh, that he's going to now presumably go prepare for in that he, he doesn't have a ton of, of game film.
4: Yeah, I, I think that is a concern. I mean, he played four games as a true freshman – um, before red shirting. So he has that a little bit and he showed that he could, you know, be a, a clutch pass catcher at a couple of uh, third down catches against Navy in 2018 that Mike Norvell was really high on. Um, but yeah, I mean, that could either be a, a, a knock against him or it could be a benefit because he doesn't have the mileage on him. I mean, it could be a case where he's fresher. He doesn't have a, a, another year of wear and tear on him. Maybe that impresses, but you know, as a draft prospect, you're not just talking about someone who's a great tailback. Like I said, he's a great receiver. Mike Norvell said that he could have easily been, you know, one of the better receivers on the team just because he knew all the plays. He picked things up really well. And the Memphis coaching staff was talking about using him as that all-around versatile back. And I think now in the NFL, you don't just have to be a three-down back in terms of just being a bell cow, you know, punishing it in. you got to be a guy who can, you know, catch it out of the backfield, run around. And I think Kenny showed he can do that. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what – Uh, NFL teams have to say obviously his limited tape you know will be a a question but I also think that he showed a lot kind of what he can do to help a team just from his uh, passing skills as much as his his pass catching skills as much as he can as a tailback
2: what's the thought around this team this year I mean obviously high expectations without or with coach Norvell is it like Let's pretend that we're going to have a playoff. Is it New Year's Six or bust for Memphis? Or are they a little bit lower? And does Gainwell, in essence, leaving, does that help to lower those expectations to a degree?
4: I think this team was still going to try to contend for a New Year's Six game just because after last year, they knew that, hey, we have a chance to do this again, especially once Brady White came back as their quarterback. Once he came back, you kind of got the sense of, all right, this team can do that. They have um, multiple stars back on offense. They have – defense that has, I think, seven or eight starters back. You know, Ryan Sewellfield is going to keep this offense going with Kevin Johns, who was the OC last year. Um, They had goals of trying to not just repeat as AAC champions, but get to that New Year's Six game. And I think with Gainwell gone, it obviously changes some of the focus a bit, but I still think this team can compete for an AAC championship, and you know, we'll see what happens. They have to play UCF and Cincinnati back-to-back, which is not going to be easy, even if they had Gainwell, but I think the expectations are, even with Ryan Silverfield, I think fans understood that, hey, there could be a chance that maybe they don't get to that New Year's Six Bowl, but at least compete and contend for an A.C. championship is a reasonable standard because that's what it's been the last few years.
0: With programs like Memphis that kind of burst onto the national scene and don't have a ton of history around them, uh, you often find that you can get one good coach, you know, two good coaching hires in a row – very rarely, though, does a program make three good coaching hires in a row. And obviously, with Justin Fuente starting Memphis on the track uh, to a New Year's Six Bowl and then Mike Norvell coming in and realizing that potential and winning the AAC title, you know, now you've got Ryan Silverfield, who it's not like he had been some hot shot name uh, you know, that was a big candidate at a bunch of different coaching jobs. Uh, at least to be a head coach. It's not like he he was a household name around the country. Uh, He's a guy from within the program who, you know, frankly, the players had a lot of trust in and uh, that the administration knew, and they felt like he would be a continuity uh, hire. How much do we really know about what kind of coach Ryan Silverfield is going to be?
4: I think that's going to be the big question. I mean, I think – from an X's and O's standpoint, I think we're, it's really going to be a, to be determined. Um, as a person, um, we know that the players really wanted them to be their head coach. We know that people were speaking up saying, hey, this is the guy we want to run our program. And I think that probably affected the, the Memphis coaching search. You know, he he even said, you know, go search the country. I know what I want to do. I know I want to be the head coach here, but go out and do a search. But the question is going to be kind of, what is his, what is his imprint going to be on the field? I mean, we know as a coach, he cares for his players. He was willing to step out and support them, not just by saying how much he supports them and put out that video saying that, you know, black lives matter. And he stands behind them. They were going to put, they're going to put a helmet sticker BLM on, which, you know, he was the first, I think, division one coach to do that. He's willing to put that out there because he cares about listening to his players. And the players say that all the time, but that said, we're going to see kind of how much of a head coach he is. Cause he's obviously been coaching since he was, you know, a teenager. He, you know, has experience in the NFL, he's learned and he's watched other people. So there should be something to be counted for, for learning and watching. But this is going to be something new, and I think he understands that that's why he has good people around him. That's why he went out and hired a Mike McIntyre. That's why he wanted to keep continuity on the offense, you know. So we'll see, but I think there, are that, there is that question of kind of how this team is going to look and why people should kind of maybe temper expectations because, as you said, it's really hard to get three straight coaches who can get the job done in the same fashion.
2: And what's it like to cover a team and like in this environment, I'm just curious, you, you focus on a specific multiple teams, but if you're focused solely on Memphis football in terms of your football coverage, what's it like? I mean, what are the ups and downs? Is it, is it far more difficult than usual? Can you walk us through what the, uh, what the flow has been like the last five months for you?
4: <laughs> it's, it's been very different. Um, under Mike Norvell, you know, Memphis was always very open. They allowed us to come to practice and watch them. They allowed us to observe practice. You know, um, Ryan was going to continue that same thing. So I, I, I joked to somebody else. I said, I guess now we get to see what it's like at other programs where we have to wait for, <laughs> we have to wait for the coach to show up. I mean, we can still ask for players. It's not like we don't know who's going to going to get, but I mean, I guess it's like everywhere else now, but it's it's been a challenge because, you know, you're so used to seeing everybody and seeing the coaches interact with each other and be able to get that firsthand view. um, It's just really different. And so we've had to get used to zoom, obviously, as we all do. Um, And also for me, you know, once I got handed the Grizzlies beat, it was a little bit tougher because once June started and we realized the NBA season was coming back in my head, I'm like, I got to focus on the Grizzlies trying to make the playoffs and, you know, get up for uh, preseason Memphis stuff. So it was, it's, it's been a challenge. It's been really kind of like, But honestly, to keep it honest, I focused on the Grizzlies when they were in the bubble. And when they got out of the bubble, I'm now focused on Memphis football and trying to make sure I do my preparation and keep up to date. And fortunately, Ryan, being a coach that's, you know, for the most part, pretty transparent, and easygoing, it's been helpful kind of letting us see what we can. Um, But it's been tough. I'm not going to lie. This is definitely not how it was the first two years here.
0: (laughs) Well, Evan, uh, I think we'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Great job on getting the Kenny Gainwell story and for clarifying it for all of us. Uh, Obviously, a tough situation, but uh, you really brought to light an important story. So thanks very much for that.
4: Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.
0: And that'll wrap it up for the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast for this week. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave a comment. That certainly helps us get the
1: word out. For Paul Meyerberg, I'm Dan Walken. will talk to you soon. You've been listening to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.
5: Energy drinks were invented for athletes to boost energy and performance. Mainstream athletes didn't use them at first but extreme athletes like myself have embraced them since the beginning. Most energy drinks give you energy through loads of caffeine and sugar, but it comes with a price. What I like about excess energy drinks is that they use a combination of 80 milligrams of caffeine, a mega dose of B vitamins and natural herbs that gives me the boost I need without a sugar crash. Most people use energy drinks to avoid the afternoon slump, but athletes use them to boost workouts and performance in competition. Anyone can buy a traditional energy drink to get through the afternoon, but excess Energy drinks will give you all the energy you would need for a workout or adventure without the sugar crash afterwards. For more information, go to mway.com and search excess.